Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey in Torah Tori. I'm your host, Dan Riley. According to the Greek and Hindu legends, there was a time when all humans were gods, but they so abused their divinity, the gods decided to take it away from them and hide it where it could never be found. The question, where to hide this divinity? So the gods debated. Let's bury it deep in the earth, said one god. No, that will not do because humans will dig into the earth and find it. Another god said, let's sink it into the deepest ocean. No, not there, for they will learn to dive into the ocean and discover it. Let's take it to the top of the highest mountain and hide it there. No, that will not do either, because they will eventually climb every mountain and once again regain their divinity. The gods gave up and said, we do not know where to hide it. It seems that there is no place on earth or in the sea that humans will not eventually reach. The God of gods thought for a long time and then exclaimed, here's what we'll do. We will hide their divinity deep in the center of their own being, for humans will never think to look there. And the gods agreed that was the perfect hiding place, and the deed was done. And since that time, humans have been going up and down the earth, digging, diving, climbing, and exploring, searching for something already deep within themselves. This parable, orts-like, has been told for millennia across all cultures. So what exactly is this divine power buried deep in humanity? Unlike the king of the jungle on the Serengeti or the ferocious gorilla in Central Africa, we humans can transform our thoughts into tangible things. We do this with our imagination. This is what the gods have buried deep inside us. Neville Goddard, the late prolific author and popular speaker in metaphysical circles, viewed the Bible as a parable of the human psyche. And as the prized possession in the psyche, he claimed, God in man is imagination. Immanuel Kant saw imagination as a synthesis of all the senses. But in this vast mystery, we know imagination is beyond the reach of the five senses. It cannot be seen, heard, smelled, touched, or tasted. Everything mankind has created took place in the mind of man before it appeared on the physical plane. With all its interpretations and derivatives, imagination can be likened to the hectic freeway interchange in East Los Angeles, where four major freeways intersect at a single point, then drivers burst into four different directions and ultimately arrive at different destinations, but still having emanated from the same place in space and time. I'm sure many folks have heard of the study done at the University of Chicago regarding basketball free throws. Volunteers were assembled and instructed to shoot free throw shots. Once their efficiency was calculated, they were divided into three groups. Efficiency, of course, being made free throw shots. The first group practiced free throws every day for an hour. The second group just visualized themselves making free throws for an hour. The third group did nothing. After 30 days, they were tested again. The first group improved their efficiency by 24%. The second group, without taking one shot, but only visualizing shooting and making free throws, improved by 23%. And as you'd expect, no changes for the third group. Another experiment completed years later revealed remarkable physical changes associated with this phenomenon. 
Clinicians at the Harvard Medical School were researching the relationship between neuroplasticity and imagination. They assembled a group of people who previously had zero experience with playing the piano and divided them into three groups. The first group were taken into a room with a piano and trained on how to play and practice intensively. The second group were taken into an identical room with an identical piano and instructed to just sit there, having no interaction with the piano. The third group were taken into an identical room with an identical piano and instructed to just imagine they were performing the same piano exercises as the first group. Prior to the experiment, a brain scan was performed at each participant. At the conclusion, another brain scan was done. With group one, they found significant structural changes in the area of the brain associated with finger movement. Group two had no changes to their brain structure. Fascinatingly enough, group three had the same structural changes to the area of the brain associated with finger movement as did group one. Yet, they hadn't moved a finger. An account described in the classic book, Think and Grow Rich, takes us on an altogether different road with imagination. The author, Napoleon Hill, believed two or more minds joined together in the spirit of harmony for a common purpose could produce magical results. As part of this mastermind concept, he created what he called invisible counselors to assist him in achieving his goals. In a relaxed state of mind below the beta wave frequency, Hill would invite counselors, all historical figures with renowned accomplishments, to join him around an imaginary conference table to discuss the purpose for which he called the meeting. Included in the luminaries of counselors were Lincoln, Luther Burbank, Emerson, Socrates, Edison, and on occasion, the famed carpenter from Galilee even joined the meetings. Hill wrote, while the meetings with my counselors may be purely fictional and exist only in my imagination, they have led me down a glorious path of adventure, rekindled my appreciation of true greatness, encouraged many creative endeavors, and emboldened the expression of honest thought. Hill also wrote of the occasions he had to discontinue the meetings. The characters became so real they were no longer under his control. Lincoln would often be late and the counselors would debate among themselves, leaving Hill out of the conversation. He was afraid he might be losing his mind. A contemporary of Hill, the celebrated psychoanalyst Carl Jung, discovered similar dynamics with what he called active imagination. Jung was adamant that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you'll call it fate. Of the many strategies he employed to give rise to the unconscious, Jung developed a method whereby he would encourage his clients to interact with symbols from their dreams and have these symbols talk to the dreamer. It was not uncommon for his clients to have bullfrogs, trees, or cans of paint, spinning tails and offering insight into personal dilemmas. In what his patients believed was a stream of thought completely independent of their own conscious thinking. Like with Hill, in some cases, these characters would not shut down. Can you imagine being in the middle of a business meeting and at the same time having a bullfrog in your mind telling you you should not be so mean to your mother? Subsequently, at the conclusion of these sessions, protocols were created to terminate conversations with these creatures of the mind. There was no collaboration between Hill and Jung. They lived and worked on different continents and came about their eerie similar discoveries through different disciplines. 
Hill, a journalist studying and writing on the science of success, and Young, studying and practicing analytical psychology. In today's world, physicists like Brian Greene or Frederick Dodson would hypothesize even stranger flights of fancy. They would introduce concepts such as string or the many worlds theories, parallel universes, and quantum computing simulations as explanations for this phenomenon. We have only touched on but a few of the many roads leading out of imagination. What we know with certainty is this magical power can be a gateway to dazzling new places and mystifying dimensions of the mind. The logical question here would be, how can we develop our imagination? No doubt a Google search would yield scores of pages, 10 ways to, seven methods for, five best strategies, and so on. For a person believing they lack imaginative powers, I suggest you X out of Google and follow a three-year-old for a couple of days. Reclaiming your imagination in today's world is a matter of subtraction, not addition. Michelangelo, when talking about his famed sculpture David, said, The sculpture was already complete within the marble block before I started my work. It was already there. I just had to chisel away the superfluous material. If we chisel away all those facts, data, formulas piled on our minds, we will discover our imagination is already there. And if we so choose to employ this mystical power, whatever it is that we do, it will be enhanced as we begin the journey, soaring, tumbling, and freewheeling into this strange new world. For my part, that's all there is. Our journey for today has ended. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off those bowlines. We're on the move now.